Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Outside the Box. And I'm, I've been giddy about this conversation for the last couple of weeks, ever since Dr. Rogers did a Common Sense MD on local honey. And uh, I'm with John Roten, who is a, a third-generation beekeeper. And, and John, how you doing, man? Thank you so much for being here. I'm doing great and glad you have me. Now, now tell us a little bit about your farm uh, before we get started. And, and tell us about being a third-generation beekeeper. What, it, what is that like? What was growing up on a bee, uh, as a beekeeper's son like? Well, dad and grandfather both. Uh, you know, we were close-knit family. Uh, they kept bees. And, of course, I was just a kid tagging along with them. But that's, you know, where I got my love for beekeeping. Uh, and actually, my great-grandfather had bees. I never had the opportunity to go with him because he had died before even before I was even born. So I'm actually a fourth-generation beekeeper. But I actually kept bees, you know, I was along for the ride. My grandfather and my dad kept bees, but I learned by watching them. That is, it, does the passion come for the bee or or for the 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 way the bee goes about life, the honey, like what, where? Because I because w- when I talk to beekeepers, they're they're so passionate about it, and they're passionate about their hives. Uh, kind of give us a little insight uh, on that. Bees are very addictive. Okay, explain uh, that. <laughs> I, I only planned when I started this Poor Valley Bee Farm uh, about uh, 19 years ago. Uh, you know, a couple of hives, just, you know, have bees produce a little honey. Well, it, it's almost like an infection. It just, you know, you, you start getting swarms. Uh, you know, you start with one or two hives, and then the next thing you know, you've got six or eight hives, and then eight or 10, and then 20, and then uh they grow on you and literally <laughs> literally. literally literally bees and, and i tell my customers this you can accumulate bees really fast and you can lose bees really fast so how do you because i can i totally get how a, a bee could just leave you how do you yeah. how do you keep them like what what uh how do you keep from keep the swarm together well you you can do it more than one way what I try to do, and some people love just to let their bees swarm, but that reduces your, your honey production. Uh, but that's the natural thing for bees to do is swarm. What we do in the spring when they get really start getting really strong, we go in and artificially swarm them. We will take splits mm. from the colonies and you know move them to a new hive, either use queen cells or introduce a new queen or do what we call walkaway splits which is just taking three to four frames of bees and brood uh, with fresh eggs in it. Bees cannot produce a good queen unless they've got eggs that are three days or newer. If they're much older than three days, you do not get a good producing queen. Nine times out of 10, you'll be a dead. Is that the is that the key to this whole thing in terms of just having a a high quality hive? Is it the queen bee? Is that really uh, is that the focus? That is the focus, but and people think you know that the queen pretty much rules the hive, which the pheromone she produces does to an extent. But the worker bees, if they see her failing in her 
what they consider, you know, what what she should be doing, her performance, they will supersede her. They will actually build a queen cell in the middle of the frame, which is called a supersedure cell. And once once she, she lays an egg in it, they will feed it royal jelly to produce one of her daughters, and then they will actually kill her. Wow. And that's, you know, in, in Dr. Rogers' podcast, he talks a little bit about the way uh, the, the ecosystem of a, of a hive. And, and that's what really actually, um, I got fascinated about was just how they work and, and how everything's in unison and, uh, and how hard they work. I think he mentioned that one beak, you know, over their lifetime only produces one twelfth of a teaspoon of honey or something like that. What, one sixth of a teaspoon. One sixth. So just think about how much, how hard, how hard they work all the time <laughs> to produce the amount of honey we we consume. They work twenty four seven. They don't sleep. They literally work their cells to death, and all the workers are female. Okay. In in the males, I, what's the word? Is it a drone? Drone. It's a drone. So it, the role of the male is basically just to reproduce other worker bees and uh, or help reproduce other worker bees and possibly queen bees. They actually mate. They don't mate in the hive. They fly off to a place in the air somewhere. The virgin queens fly out, mate, you hope, with 15 to 20 drones. Okay. To get her. She only mates one time in her life. Okay. And that has to do her, the sperm has to do her, you know, till she comes to the end of her road. Okay. Okay. So which the, is usually three to five years. Okay. And, but she can be superseded if... Oh, yeah. And, and what is she judged on? Is she judged on, you performance. know... Performance. And performance being uh, and, honey production. No, the amount of eggs she lays. Okay, so producing worker bees. Yes, a, a queen bee, a good queen bee will lay roughly 2,000 eggs a day. Wow. Wow. That's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, a a full-blown, good, healthy hive should contain between sixty and 80,000 bees. Say that. So say those numbers one more time. How, how many? Sixty to eighty thousand bees. Oh, in one hive. In one hive. That scares me to death <laughs> to, to to come up on a a beehive of sixty to eighty thousand bees. Honey bees are for the most part gentle. Okay. Now, if there's a honey flow going on, which they're they're starting one right now, and. Uh, they're calm, very calm. Uh, they could, they, they, they wouldn't care if you burnt the hive down, as long as you don't keep them from doing what they do, and that's producing honey. That's their sole purpose, is to make sure that they have enough honey, so the hive survives, gets it through the winter to the next spring. So their whole their whole life is is driven by, you know, all, all they do is just make honey and that's all they yeah. eat. No, that's no, all they do. <laughs> I love that. Uh, they make honey and they pollinate, okay. which is, is one of the things that we do. We do for man's farms, which produces vegetables and strawberries and stuff for food city. We do all our pollination for them. So uh, t tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about the pollination process and what do you mean by you do the pollination? Uh, oh, you the do it with the bees. 
the bees do it. Okay. You know, I just, I provide the bees. They, they, you know, they'll visit the flowers. Uh, and, and each, each flower is different. Each tree is different. Each, it produces only nectar at a certain time of day. Okay. And the bees are really attuned to getting the most bang for their buck. If you've got a poplar tree that's in bloom, they pretty much won't work anything else because Poplar trees produce an inordinate amount of good quality nectar. Okay. It's a dark nectar, but it is one of the dark honey is better for you than light honey. And as your dad alluded to in his his podcast, dark honey contains more antioxidants than the lighter honeys do. Now, some of the lighter honeys, you know, everything's got a different flavor. Some of it's citrusy. Uh, you get you get just a an unreal number of combinations, even in a single honey super, you may have three or four different flavors. So how much of the, the you're talking a little bit about, okay, the, the bees go out and they pollinate, um, they pollinate flowers. Yes. How much of the quality of, of the local honey is determined by the flowers in which they, they pollinate? Like, uh, it, it's, it's pretty much, the pollen is what gives the local honey its flavor. The, the honey you buy and grow, and, and I hate to say this, but you buy in grocery stores. At one time, yes, it started out as honey, but they have force filtered it, heated it till they've stripped the pollen out of it, and it's just sweet. I mean, if you want something sweet, buy Cairo syrup. <laughs> because, and, and once, once someone tastes, Local honey from from a beekeeper they know and can trust. They'll see the the difference. It's it's readily apparent. And it, is it apparent in in the taste or texture? Because I I know that um, the way honey looks in a grocery store, it's meant to be appealing to the eye. It is, you know. And so my take would be like. Uh, if it's if it looks if it looks less clear, maybe that's a sign that it's more uh quality honey it's it's really that's hard to say because okay locust honey is one of the best tasting honeys there is and you can literally read a newspaper through it oh wow okay it's that clear uh poplar honey is dark and you can readily taste the difference if if you if you put them out you know just in two separate dishes and, and you know, taste one and taste the other world of difference. But sometimes the bees will combine the two nectars and it makes a honey that is just absolutely wonderful. I'd rather have it than have sour wood. So, so you're, you're classifying the honey based on the plant that the pollen comes from. Yes. Okay. So that's what, that's what, that's, that's what gives it its flavor. So poplar honey is coming from a from a poplar tree, yeah. uh, and sourwood, which you know I've heard is kind of the holy grail. Come, <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe you want to riff on that a little bit. <laughs> well, no, no, I mean it, it is it, it's it's a very good tasting honey, but it's as far as I'm concerned, for my taste, I would rather have the poplar poplar locust. The now, combo. We have a few sourwood trees here. Yeah, the combo. Uh, it's just, it's just one. And you get in the spring, you'll get a citrusy taste, a flowery taste in different uh, honeys. Uh, but it's, and as I told your mom earlier, 
95% of the honey that's produced in this area and in most areas, it comes from trees, not from, not from clover, not from flowers. I mean, you, yes, you can say that the blooms are flowers on the trees, but I'm talking about, you know, the, the ordinary garden variety flowers, you know, zinnias, petunias, all this. But 95% of the honey comes from trees, holly, locusts, uh, sourwood, uh, basswood, which is an excellent honey, sumac. Sumac makes a red honey. And it, after a while, you can learn when you look at the colors, you can tell pretty much what the honey came from. You, you mentioned before we hit record that that to be local honey or to be classified as local honey, it has to be, uh, I guess, the nectar has to come from a 50-mile radius of yes of where where you live or where you're yes. where you're uh at at that time yeah. um how much how much control do you have over where your hives or where your bees pollinate um do you like so say you know you're at poor valley farms your mm -hmm. bees do they go I, th I think i read maybe a five mile radius of their hive they can go that's extreme Okay. Once they they normally stay within a two mile range. Okay. Because once they exceed that two mile range, uh, you have a diminished capacity of what they can bring back as far as usable nectar. Now, in, in extreme conditions, drought conditions, or not, uh, if if there's not you know that much local nectar. And that two mile radius, they, they will venture out and try to find more nectar. And what most beekeepers should do, and generally around here, we start losing our nectar flow about the end of June. It, it, it just pretty much goes into a dearth. Uh, bees need an, an excess of 150 pounds of honey just to raise brood on, to get them through, you know, to the next, to the next nectar flow. Can, can you, which usually comes in August or September. Can you tell us what brood means? Brood or baby bees. Okay. Okay. Baby bees. That's, well, that, that's what I was thinking. Like, okay, if, if they work 24 seven, um, and their sole purpose is to produce honey, uh, in my head, I'm thinking there has to be seasons to this. There has to be, you know, you mentioned nectar flow. There has to be, you know, um, seasons where, you know, you're producing lots of honey and then seasons where the nectar just, you can't get it. It dries up. So, yeah. so can you give us the process from a, from a bee standpoint, what are, they're working on making more worker bees yes. when, when the nectar flow is low? Yeah. The, and, and it varies among races of bees. Italians, which is the pervasive variety of, of bees in this country. Uh, that's what the early settlers brought from Europe. Bees are not native to North America. Honeybees are not native to North America. Okay. They were brought, they were brought in, and at the time it was mostly Italians. And the Italians will just, they, they keep rearing brood uh, whether there's nectar or not. Now, the Carniolians, which is, is, is a different race of bees, yet they're honeybees, uh, if they see the nectar flow start to wane, then they'll cut back on their brood production and they winter in a smaller cluster than the Italians. Uh, bees, usually, they, they go in stages. When they hatch out, then they become nurse bees. 
then that's three weeks. To, but he only lives 42 days. Yeah. Uh, that's their lifespan. Uh, their first three weeks of life, you know, pretty much they work inside the hive, building comb, taking care of, of the brood, covering the brood, you know, when, when needed, feeding. Uh, then they go into phases of building comb, uh, producing wax, and then the final three weeks of their life, they're foragers. That's your old, the bees you see out flying in the fields are the old bees. Uh, they're, they're, they're basically on, you know, their last stage of life, the last three weeks of their life. And that, that's amazing that, you know, how they can produce as much honey as they do when really they only, you know, they only have a three week production cycle in their life. What what if that three weeks comes in a time when when nectar flow is low and you know are they still out foraging? They're still out foraging. Okay. And see that that that's what that's what happens to be and that's what happened this past winter. Stayed warm the de- through December pretty much. Bees were out flying every day, eating up stores. There's nothing from the work. Uh, and this this is one thing where it's better to have a winter that's steadily cold to where they'll stay in the hive they don't need as they don't need as much honey stored honey uh, as, as a warm weather interesting so so what when are the honey seasons you know for 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 your farm for your hives like when do you know like okay now's 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 the time we, we need to get out is it and is it for this is it the same for everybody yeah pretty much and and you know in this area uh the red maples start producing first week of february the red maples. They don't care. The red maples. They don't care about the cold. They love the cold. And on warm days, the honeybees will work them. I mean, and they will work them hard because they they produce quite a bit of nectar. Okay. And that's what they start rearing the initial brood on. Okay. The queen will lay drone cells, drone bees first. Then she'll start laying worker bees. Of course, only about ten percent of them are going to be drones. The rest are going to be working uh, worker bees. Uh, then you, you go from the red maples to the willows, to the alders, then your red buds come along and that's where the, that's when they really kick it in high gear. Is that like June or July? No, no. The red buds have, they've already come and gone. They, they, they started about, uh, about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, maybe over in Kingsport where it was a little warmer, uh, and they get quite a bit of nectar from the red, I mean, from the red buds. And you don't want red bud honey because it is bitter. Wild cherry honey is bitter. But they feed most of that to the brood. Okay, so, okay, so it's, it, I, I got you. So the, the brood will feed on the honey as well. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and they mix, they actually mix the honey, the nectar and the pollen together. And the old timers call it bee bread. Is, and that's what they feed the brood. Can you explain to me nectar and pollen? I'm, I'm trying to, to capture in my head. Okay, the bees go to the trees in, in many cases. Mm-hmm. They're grabbing, they're, they're pollinating the trees. So that means they're, they're getting nectar from the tree. And pollen. And pollen. Okay, so nectar and nectar and pollen comes from... Yes comes from the tree where they actually and and, in the the case of the tulip poplar they they have a huge bloom i mean they are huge a bee can literally just you can get several bees down inside of of one of the blooms at one time and they walk around 
and they they move the pollen, which actually uh, pollinates the tree, and they get nectar too. And the bees will come back from, and you can you can tell when they've been in the, the poplar trees. They're a bright orangey color, and they're greasy looking. Interesting. It, 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 produ it produces that much nectar, and they're just they're just covered with that orange pollen. And it, will they? Okay, so is there a certain ratio that you, that you look for in honey with like pollen versus nectar, or is it or is it just like you know it's you can't really measure it? You you can bees need say for for a typical overwintering they need three to four frames of pollen to get them through the winter. What what does frame uh, mean? Uh, it's, it's, it's actually what they raised the brood in. Okay. It is, it's a rectangular. I think I, I, I can picture it in my head. That's what you see at, at, at bee, at, uh, at a beekeeper's farm is these yeah. like a square. It's like a picture frame, but a bunch of bees are in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's actually a wooden frame that goes inside the, the, the hive bodies. Okay. Uh, the deep ones they raise brood in, the shallow mediums they put honey in. Okay. And then that's where they draw out the comb, the hexagonal cells uh, to store the honey in. Okay. And, and to raise brood in. Okay. So so they're so they're bringing back nectar and pollen. Yes. And and you need both in the honey. Yeah. They need both. Yeah. Um, is there a a particular uh, i, I kind of want to come at this from oh actually before we we go to the consumer level will the bees go back and forth throughout the day you know going to pollinate and then going back to the going back to the hive uh to uh to to produce honey back and forth in a day is or is oh, they it... make they, they make numerous trips okay so numerous I trips mean, during the day the foragers, I mean, that, that's constant. They go out, they work the flowers, they'll come back, and they carry it in, in a honey stomach. Yep. And they carry the pollen on baskets on their back legs. Okay. Uh, wow. They will exchange the nectar with the worker bees in the hive. Okay. They regurgitate it out of their honey stomach. Not out of their food stomach, but out of their honey stomach. And the, the, the workers in the hive mix enzymes from their bodies with the nectar and store it in the cells and when they get it what we call ripe down to a moisture content we hope of about 15 16 percent then it they will cap it they'll, right. they'll put a thin cap over it to keep it in in the in the cell and that's that's when it becomes you know marketable honey or they can go back later tire the caps off it and use it for their cell how do you, how do you as the as the beekeeper how do you draw out the honey from the hive? Uh, we actually I'll go check a hive if if it's eighty to ninety percent capped. Uh, I've got a refractometer. I'll test it, see what the moisture content is. If it's in the acceptable level, if it's if it's too high, then you don't want to harvest it because it will ferment. Now, if if you're a meat maker. Now they they're thrilled with that because they make honey wine out of it. Okay. You know, it ferment. But if if you want it for for keeping for you know for for a few months for you know consumption, then you want the moisture level as low as you can get it. 
and once once it reaches that point, we we start pulling uh, the supers off. So, uh, by moisture lever, I'm, I'm assuming you're meaning like density of the yeah. of, of the liquid. You want it to be thicker. Yeah, you want it. You want it to be down. You know, around fifteen point five, fifteen point six percent, which is is pretty much ideal. And I mean, you you can harvest it up to about eighteen percent, and it'll still be good. But you know, the more condensed, the better. The, the, okay, the more condensed, the better. Does that does that mean like from a from a health standpoint as a consumer, the more dense, the more pollen, the more healthy things that are in it, or or not? No, not necessarily. I mean, you you'll have the same amount of pollen and antioxidants, whatever, in in you know thin honey. Uh, okay, you know that's that's not what we call ripened yet it'll be the same amount. They just extract the bees actually draw the moisture out of it. Okay. Uh, so it's panning and whatnot and, and then draw it down to where they want it. Got it. So this is kind of like a, it's a, it's a give and take. Like I feel like the bees are, uh, they're producing for us, but they're also producing for themselves in order to produce for us. Yeah. I mean, really they're producing for themselves and, and, you know, if the, if the nectar flow starts to dry up, then they get a little defensive about you taking their honey. Okay, that they, makes they, sense. They, they let you know in a hurry that, you know, you don't need to be in here. You just leave us alone. <laughs> you're like, you're only here for excess honey. <laughs> that's, that's it, yeah. I love and, it. And you do, that, that's what happens to a lot of bees. The beekeepers don't realize that you cannot strip all that honey out and take it down to the brood chamber because you starve your bees to death. And they say, well, stuff's blooming. That's fine. Well, the good stuff blooms, but it doesn't necessarily produce nectar. Stuff uh, Blooms do not always have nectar. We have years where we'll have a great bloom, but there's simply just no nectar to attract the bees and then not enough, you know, for them to utilize. Interesting. So you, you, you've kind of got to learn that and, you know, leave your bees, you know, Plenty of stores, you know, you know, take some, but leave them enough to, to get them through the rough spots. We're, we're obviously, we're in East Tennessee and, um, tell us a little bit about, um, I, I'm kind of coming at this from a consumer, uh, perspective now. How, how is the local honey in East Tennessee compared to other parts of the country? Do you, uh, consider you know this to be a like kind of a hot spot in the country. Hot spot mean in in a good way. Um, what's your thoughts, East Tennessee for local honey versus other areas of the country? Uh, you can't beat it. Really, we have and, and and a lot of your honey comes from monocultures. What, what uh, does that? Or they just where they just grow one crop. Like beekeepers from all over the United States send thousands of colonies to California in February to pollinate the almonds. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a side, there are literally millions of colonies brought in, but that's all you see. We were out there a few years ago and for, and I don't mean just a mile or two, but I mean 30, 30 miles. All you see is almond trees. Okay. And that's all there is. That's, that's hard on the bees. Uh, yes, they, and it doesn't produce that good a nectar, but they have to have the bees to pollinate the almonds. And they literally pay a premium price as much as $250 to $300 per hive 
for each hive brought in and people from the East Coast send tractor and trailer loads out there every year to pollinate the almonds. And, it, and, and, the, and the guys that grow the almonds say they couldn't grow them. If they didn't have the bees, it would just it'd be a waste of time. Right. But around here, we have uh, we have just fantastic sources of, of you know, of nectar. And, uh, and that and that's kind of the key performance indicator of a of a region would be yeah. how is your nectar sources? Yes. Okay. Uh, the the and I have eaten literally eaten honey from all over the world. Uh, I've eaten it from the Middle East. Uh, from Afghanistan, from Croatia. Uh, no, thank you. Okay. Uh, of course, I mean, and probably they would say the same thing about our honey from here. I guess it's it's what your taste buds become used to, you know, when you're growing up. Well, you know, what's interesting is like, you know, I would think because you know we've talked a lot about this and I know I know you understand this better than anybody the importance of it being local yes that has to matter i think you know in the sense that like we might respond better to honey that's produced in east tennessee versus you know somebody who comes who's not from east tennessee or you know is visiting you know what i mean versus there there might be something to that i'm not sure but well i mean and your dad could probably, you know, to this better relate to this better than I can. But the pollen, you know, taken from the honey as, as you're ingesting it, uh, I think. And I don't have any allergies. I, I bet you don't because you have access to I, all this all this honey. I don't have any allergies, and 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 that's one thing that I attribute it to. Yeah, because I have eaten you know local honey basically all my life. Uh, can you can you tell us a uh, you know for the people that you know aren't um, aren't aware as much um, uh, around you know the honey thing with the allergy because when I think about local honey, uh, I think about the allergy part of it is like okay I'm gonna have less allergies this year. Do you do you know from from a beekeeper's perspective what that's is it because the pollen the pollen that would bother somebody. Um, you put it in your own system and is there something to that, uh, you know, just from a consumer's level? It, your, your body, I think actually builds up a resistance, you know, yep. as you gradually eat small amounts of it and pollen, you can, is good for you. Yeah. Uh, it's got a variety of different tastes. It goes from sweet to fruity to bitter. I mean, you can eat it on cereal. Uh, I mean, and, and some beekeepers actually, Harvest pollen. Yeah. I've seen it at, you know, there's local, uh, you know, shops that that actually say there's bee pollen on this dish, you yeah. know, and, and that, I guess that's for, you know, for health reasons. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's good. It's, it's, like I said, it's got a variety of flavors and colors. Okay. It ranges anywhere from snow white to pink, black, green, fluorescent orange. Uh, just a myriad of colors in the pollen. So educate us, John, on, on as consumers, how do we shop for local honey? How do we know, how do we know we're getting the good stuff? You know, obviously you mentioned earlier in this episode that, you know, uh, what's in the grocery stores, you know, might not be the best, not, might not actually be what we think it is. 
uh, kind of walk us through, as consumers, what do we need to be looking for? Uh, look for a local beekeeper that you know okay. sells honey. Uh, usually it's just strained. It's not, it's there, there's no force filtering. There's no heating. Now you can, you can warm honey and, and you know, it's to me, it's best if you keep honey at room temperature, don't stick it in the fridge. Okay. Okay. Uh, keep it, keep it at room temperature. Uh, you can warm honey without, you don't want to heat honey over a hundred degrees, about 85 to 90. And that keeps it ideal. Uh, just uh, know your beekeeper. Uh, and and they, is there, is there like a, there, I'm assuming there's the beekeepers label or, or logo is on a jar. Should be. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I think it's required in both Tennessee and Virginia. Uh, it's, it's got the name of the apiary, uh, or, and, and a phone, you know, contact phone number, the weight, uh, whatnot, which, and, is, which is required. Okay. So, so no, actually know who the, who the, the local beekeeper is. Yeah. Look for that label. Uh, are you seeing any outlets that are are doing a good job of of distributing uh, the local honey? I I'm sure I'm assuming the 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 big chain stores you know aren't going to be uh, the, the where you'd find it. No, and uh, you find a few of your smaller markets that you know do specialize in in local beekeeper honey. Okay. Uh, farmers markets. Is, and I know the one in Kingsport, I know some of my customers, you know, sell honey there. Okay. Uh, that's, that's your best, but you know, your best sources. Uh, um, real quick, cause I, I do want to, I, I want to be respectful of your time, John. Uh, do you have any, any special remedies that you like at your, you're a, a fourth generation beekeeper? Uh, how are you using honey, uh, in your kitchen? Uh, that would be kind of fun for, for the listeners to, to try at home with their local honey. Well, uh, now that, that's a question you have to ask my wife. She, <laughs> she, she has, she has a chicken dish she does with honey. Okay. And it, it, it's great. Uh, I use it, uh, on cereal. Okay. Uh, I eat it with peanut butter. Uh, I love, I love that. With cinnamon, it's wonderful with cinnamon, and it's really good for you. Uh, I take it with turmeric, which you know is an anti-inflammatory. Yep. Uh, uh, just I use it in a variety of ways, and I mean sometimes I just feel errors, and I'll just get a teaspoon and and eat the honey by itself. And every every time I extract, I always taste what's coming from this this batch, and and I save some of it, you know, so. That I know. What, what do you uh, mean by that? Uh, when, when we when we extract the honey, we put it in a, in a centrifuge. Okay. And we spin it out of the comb, and then then we bottle it. Okay. Uh, I want to know that there's a good quality of taste there. I'm not going to put a honey, you know, to my customers that that I wouldn't eat. Got it. Uh, because most of my customers you know, have, have eaten honey for years. Right. And, and they know good honey. And I had a lady that I worked with, and your dad knows her too. Uh, she came to me one day and she said, John, she said, I ran out of honey. And she said, I went, and I won't mention where she went. She said, I went and bought some, you know, store honey. And she said, I threw the stuff in the trash. <laughs> she said, there's no comparison. 
I yeah. said, well, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, beekeepers know that. Right. Because, you know, they taste their own product. And, you know, I've tasted store-bought honey. I've, <laughs> I've eaten it. It started out as honey, but now it's just sweet. Is is you mentioned a centrifuge? Is that is that really like how long does that process take to to spin it out uh, of the comb? It it depends. I have got a thirty frame radial extractor that I can put thirty shallows, thirty mediums, or thirty deeps in and extract them at one time, and that usually takes oh thirty to forty minutes. Okay, because. Uh, with that many frames, you're probably going to get, that's probably six or eight gallons of extracted honey. And are roughly. you, are you, um, is the, are you, are you jarring it right there or uh, is there? No, I like to let it, you, you have to let honey set because you entertain air into it when you extract it. Okay. And okay. overnight those air bubbles come to the surface. And it looks almost like a, it, it's, it's, it is a froth. And then I'll take a spatula and just, you know, just take that off. Okay. Because it, it, it's not very attractive. I mean, and it, it serves no useful purpose. Is it, uh, is this like, I'm picturing it in like a big bucket. Yeah. Big yeah. bucket at this point. It's sitting... Well, we, we, we've got actually an 80 gallon tank out there that we take the buckets, pour into that 80 gallon tank and let it set. And, and all that stuff comes to the top. Well, we can we can run honey off the bottom, which is you know just as clean as it can be, and then you can go you know straight from there to the bottle. When you said shallows and you know thirty deeps, are are those types of hives? No, those are types of frames that they actually put. All bees in America have to be kept in hives that have removable frames because of inspecting for disease. Uh, years ago, even back, well, in the 70s in Germany, they kept bees in skips. And I, and I know that they're just an odd-looking dome-shaped structure. Uh, and they actually coated them with cow dung to waterproof them. That, I'm serious. And, and there's, 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 some good, there's some good old YouTube videos on there showing them repairing and doing that very thing. And this lasted up until the early 70s in Germany. Now, in this country, uh, I think turn of the century, they started going to what they call the Langstroth hive, which is a hive with, with 10 removable frames That's or eight, depending on. It, it's interesting because when I'm picturing a hive, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the hive that you see you know, out in the wild, you know, it's like a, it's like a thing that that's hanging, you know, off of a tree and so that's so I'm thinking of it all wrong then. Yeah, yeah. These these are we we have manipulated bees down. Bees like to they prefer trees really. Okay. Hollow trees, but we you know we have constructed rectangular boxes now for them to you know to live in to work in you know to store honey in. And, and okay, so that becomes their hive. That's that their hive. Their home. Yes. And then and that's what you're putting those different different types of frames you're putting into the centrifuge and the yep. centrifuge is extracting the honey. It extracts the honey. You don't destroy the comb. You can put the comb right back in and let the bees clean it up. They will restructure the cells, rework them and put more honey right back in. That is wild. And that, and that's, that saves them an amazing amount of work. Okay. 
and they're able to probably to produce more because oh yeah because it takes and depending on whose scale you use it takes six to eight pounds of honey to produce one pound of wax which is what they what they store the that's the honey in I, I, I just, they're, they're amazing engineers. I, I love this process. I, I'm becoming fascinated with bees as we'll, is I we'll know. Make a, we'll make a beekeeper out of it. <laughs> so, so tell us real quick. You said, you know, one of the most important things when, you know, choosing local honey is knowing a local beekeeper. I want more people to know you, John. Tell us a little bit about your farm uh, and things that we can look for to find, uh, to find uh, honey from your hives. We... We sell our honey on the honor system. Now, this may sound a little crazy to you, but <laughs> down about two miles from home, there is a, it's a little, there's a little area there. It's a, like a kind of a, a strip mall. It's got a post office, a few odds and ends stores, and across the road from it is an Exxon service station. And where is this? What what town? Hilton's. Okay, Hilton's, Hilton's Virginia. Virginia. Up next to the Carter Fold. There you go. And if you know where the Crooked River Farm is, we're sure just- do. We're just back down the road from that. There you go. And we have we have hives actually on up above Crooked River Farm. Beautiful, but beautiful we, place. We sell we sell our honey down there on the honor system. Okay. It looks like a two seater outhouse in the corner of the parking lot. You you take your honey out and put your money in a little metal box and you're on your way. No way. Yes. That is. And, do you do you refill the the uh, the I guess it's a box. Baby. Daily, we re we 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 re, re, we replenish it every day. Wow, that is so cool. Uh, so this is right. This is in the Exxon, close to Carterfold and Crooked River Farm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's back. It's about two miles from Carterfold and about four miles back from from Crooked River toward Kingsport. And and where is where is uh, where is Poor Valley Farm uh, in, in relation to that? Uh it's between there and the Carterfold. Okay. Okay. Super cool. And we keep, we, we, we can't keep bees here because of the bear. And we actually had a bear in the barn Saturday night and he destroyed a whole bunch of my honey supers. No way. Yes, so, sir. So, so you can't so keep we, the bees, you can't keep the honey where because of the bears? We can't keep the bees here. So we, we've got them, we've got them all pretty much on, now we've got, we've got a few in Russell County. We've got a few up in Washington County, Virginia. A few hives. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then most, most of them are on man's farms. We've got five bee yards over there. Uh, Ma pollination. Man's farms? Man's, yes. Okay. And these are all safe from, from, from bears? Well, so <laughs> knock on wood so far, so good. <laughs> Well, uh, well, John, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and educating us on on honey, on you know beehives, and this whole beautiful process. Uh, real quick, for my this is a selfish question: how, when I'm out and about, how do I know it's a honeybee? Because uh, you know I, I know the importance of them to our ecosystem, and you want to make sure that you kind of you know do your do your job to not bother them and let them do their thing. Well, how do I know it's a honeybee? Ah. Uh... That's that's kind of a hard question for a beekeeper to answer because we just we take them for granted. I mean, we they and I don't know how to put this. Most of them are are yellow and black, which so is a yellow jacket. But a yellow jacket is just you know kind of a small skinny creature. 
The honeybees are a little short, stubby, and they'll have they'll have yellow and black. So not, not as butt. thin, not as thin as a yellow jacket. No, 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 they're no nowhere near, and they're no nowhere as aggressive as a yellow jacket. Okay. Uh, so a little, little, little stumpy, uh, yellow and black. Uh, look out for for these uh, for these bees, guys. They, uh, gosh, they're a gem. They're a gem to our yeah, region and, and don't, to don't squash, don't squash them, please. And, and, if they light on you, they're 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 after the salt. They're not they're not going to sting you as long as you don't press them. Now, if you press them, they'll sting you. <laughs> Well, John, uh, John Roten, everybody from Poor Valley Bee Farm uh, up near Carterfold in Hilton's Virginia. John, thanks so much for joining us today and being on Outside the Box. You're welcome anytime. Don't go away. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys next time.